Hi, and welcome to Seppa Stories. All right, so it is with some excitement and a little bit of sadness uh, that I am announcing that this episode, episode 35 of season three, will be the last episode for season three. So um, never fear. Season 4 will be continuing our exploration into the wonderful wizarding world of Harry Potter based and inspired fan fiction. So yes, there will be more um, stories derived from Fantastic Beasts, Harry Potter, our wonderful character pairings. Um, I will do a lot more uh, Hermione story reading for those who like that character. Also unusual ships as well as some Harry and Draco pairing. So yay, all of that will be up and coming. I'm also reviewing longer stories. So some stories that are 50 plus chapters. So that will be happening as well. And those will be run in a single episode within the season. So you'll have that to listen to if you listen on the road or on the go or, you know, even at work. Um, I will continue to give you ratings pretty much up front. So if you are listening on the go and out loud, uh, you can, you are aware that, you know, a story might have lemons. Okay, so those are some kind of improvements that will be happening to uh, season four. We're going to continue to follow, follow our, our standard format of kind of introducing the story giving you a summary about it, reading the story, breaking, and then commentary. So that seems to be working really well, and I hope you enjoy it because I love doing this. All right, so with that, this is our close to season three, and let me tell you about this amazing story that'll be our final episode. Okay, so this story is titled Fires Burn and So Do I. It is written by Kiyoshi Glory, K-O-I-S-H-I-I hyphen Glory, uh, G-L-O-R-Y, all lowercase. I found this story using my downloadable iPad app. I have a fanfiction app. And when I clicked in, it linked me to the fanfiction.net website. So you could find this story on fanfiction.net or utilizing Android or Apple app for fanfiction sites. Okay, so right off the bat, this is a rated M as designated by the author. So there may be explicit and mature uh, material in this podcast. Be aware of that. This is not intended for younger audiences, so you have been warned. Um, all right. The author has provided us a summary for the story. It says something about Draco Malfoy's current behavior doesn't sit well with her. In the name of public health, Hermione has a responsibility to investigate. And it's a hell of a lot easier than dealing with her own issues because no one walks away from war. That's the summary. We have, and that was very fast, we have... Um, elements of supernatural things occurring, angst, and a very possessive Draco. We do have a Hermione and Draco pairing. Uh, this is, as I mentioned, rated M, and it looks like the story is fairly new, published on July 2nd. So it is in English, um, if you were reading. So with that, let's get into the story, and I really hope you like this. The author does have another quick note. If you were reading this story, the, um, the author is suggesting that you have Sola playing in the background by Nina Cobham. So with that, let's dive into 
Fires Burn and So Do I by Kayoshi Glory, and we will begin the story now. Hermione, while clearly a child genius, was not the sort of woman who regularly boasted about it. Her record spoke loudly enough for itself for anyone who dared to walk past her stone statue in the ministry's atrium. Clear of her charm work, if she did say so herself, and she did. Figuring out puzzles, finding clues, and generally being the Sherlock Holmes of her generation was par for the course. It was what she'd always been useful for. So, when she started noticing some incremental changes in Draco Malfoy's behavior, she put her note in her mental pig board to come back to it should the need arise. She'd been caught unawares once, and that would never happen again, not where he was concerned. Besides, Hermione still caught shit from Harry about sixty on a regular basis. She had let Harry and Ron down that year. Her purpose as her friend was bastardized in some sick fashion, which allowed Malfoy to kill the last vestiges of their childhood on that fateful night. Green-pointed light, half-moon spectacles, and long, curling beards still peppered her dreams. On the first day of their eighth year, Hermione noticed Draco staring intently as the little first-year skittered across the great hall to be sorted. He did not outright smile or frown as the little ones were placed, which was not an ordinary anyway. No one was particularly animated tonight. Even Peeves circled the halls in listless, ghostly trails. His stink bombs were mildly odious at best, and even his evil cackle sounded rather like a hack cough. The new great hall was smaller than the previous one had been, although no less grand. In some ways, it was almost too opulent. Every meter or so, the goblin-made glass chandeliers hung heavily on jeweled chains. The long benches that had been hell on the knees, yet so much a part of Hogwarts that it was a set-piece, had been replaced with heavy chairs lined with velvet fabric. On the back of the chairs were small gold plates designating which family had donated said chairs. Hermione knew it was a way for neutral or outright dishonorable families to begin buying their way back into public favorability. The welcome dinner was somber but tense, as if the very air were still exploding and sounding with the screams of the dying. The number of students in the Great Hall had been reduced, but the energy was more overwhelming than it had been in any year prior. No, his silent staring was not why Malfoy stood out to her. The fact that he bothered to pay attention at all is what struck her as odd. For seven years, well, seven presumably as she'd missed the last year while being on the run, Hermione had held court at his section, sorry, Malfoy had held court at his section of the Slytherin table. In the past, she reckoned he hadn't heard a single name being called after his initial first year sorting, nor any year after, as he was often loudly ribbing some poor Hufflepuff or spooking the first years with tripping hexes at the welcome dinners. What also drew Hermione's attention to Malfoy was his pale finger lightly tapping on the table to a tune that only he knew. It would suddenly stop when a new name was called and only resume once the student was sorted. Tap, tap, pause. The tapping was coupled with his hawk-like eyes, which followed the sorting hat's mouth. 
that was what told her where his attention truly lay. Hermione felt something shift in the logical side of her brain as she quietly observed Malfoy. It was at that moment that she became keenly aware of how much had been lost in the last few years. She couldn't even count on Malfoy to be the same. No one paid attention to her, as she huffed quietly and went back to wiggling on her two firm wing-backed chair. She awoke that night when the moon was at its highest point. She was sure she could hear his fingers tapping in her dreams. Hermione held her covers to her chest, feeling manic, as it was the first time in almost a year that her dreams weren't haunted by Bellatrix, cutting her down into something small and minuscule. Hermione hated Malfoy at that moment for making her feel safe for the night, knowing it was only a temporary reprieve. It was a week before students were set to leave for winter when her mental note came screeching back into her mind's forefront. Malfoy had been cleaning up after the winter ball, as was his duty as the school's defunct janitor, another demeaning caveat of his probation. When McGonagall had caught Hermione's hand at the end of the dance, her McGonagall begged Hermione to ensure that Malfoy would finish his task without harassment. Many of the disillusioned Ruth youth roaming the halls felt giddy upon approaching a real life death eater, and some of their banter turned bitter, leaving Malfoy burping up a variety of nasty little creatures. Hermione nodded with a strained smile that McGonagall pretended not to see. Malfoy worked quietly as he cleaned up the night's party dregs while Hermione tried to hold on to her ebbing civility with all her might. She watched his long, strong arms shovel broken bottles and empty cups that were left stranded about the floor with such a resigned grace that had her shaking with indignation. How dare he look penitent and contrite while cleaning up other people's garbage? How dare he? Her skin burned tightly and angrily as she furiously tried to ignore her bubbling feelings. She took in deep breaths before turning her back on him, determined not to let him get the best of her. She said she stood stiff as an iron rod for hours as the sounds of his grunts and sighs dumped into her mind like unexpected packages until finally she could take no more. Exhausted and ready to go to her room, Hermione used her wand to help him clean up some sticky gunk that had coated part of the dance floor. It was going to take a lifetime for him to finish tidying up the hall like a muggle. Almost comically, Malfoy turned his mop bucket back to the trashed floor to find it now spotless. He felt a mixture of unabashed pleasure and confusion before he swung his head up to Hermione's perch on the wooden railing, separating the dance area from the rest of the room. Realization dawned on him that his savior was none other than the head girl. He stared at her for a borrowed moment before his lips turned softly in the facsimile of a smile. It was not a full invitation into his feelings, but the key promising treasures within if one was bold enough to turn the lock. Not noticing that Hermione was gripping the railing so tight that her knuckles were as white as snow, he opened his mouth to say something that looked to be the beginnings of a thank you when Hermione swung off before he could speak. Hermione found the sight of this new Malfoy so incongruous to her reality that she quit the room all at once. She swept down the vacant hallways as if she was Snape's brooding daughter, complete with the late professor's trademark dark cloud running to catch up with her. 
How dare he smile at her, and how dare he look so content cleaning up other people's trash? A small voice asked if her sulking was good use of her mental landscape, and she decided that it was, very much was. When Hermione had settled into bed, she continued to plant hateful seeds as she drifted off to sleep. While she slept, soft smiles morphed, morphed, morphed into evil smirks. Kind thanks turned into cackling laughter. Soft blue eyes turned red with manic madness, and mop handles became twelve and a three-fourths quarter dragon heartstring wand. It occurred to her during the weeks following winter holidays that Malfoy wasn't even was well more scarce than before. He'd spent the duration of the term dashing around corners, hiding in broom closets, and generally deciding to shrink himself so small as to be invisible to the naked eye. This was not entirely unusual behavior, considering his standing as a disgraced monarch marching about with no clothes. Hermione found his fall from grace to be both jarring and deserving, but not seeing him at all left her stomach queasy with unwanted sympathy. That was unacceptable. Now that the memory of Malfoy's soft smile stamped about her like a baby buffalo, she decided his days of avoiding the world had come to an end. No one who had shredded her carefully built character arc deserved to sneak past justice. Hermione decided she would get to the bottom of his behavior and make him stop hiding behind curtains if she had any say in it. When the details of her concerns were made public in conversation to a timid Neville, she understood that her version of the law and order may be difficult to translate. Neville nodded along kindly to her torrent of increasingly implausible explanations for Malfoy's behavior, even when Hermione began to pace back and forth about the common cold room, about the common, about the cold common room. Occasionally she would slap Neville's hand away from her bumble tea pudding as he attempted to stealthily commandeer her dessert. Neville, what are your thoughts on this ludicrous behavior? Hermione spun around to face her friend who at the present was licking the inside of her empty pudding bowl. His eyes slipped up from blissful clouds of pudding to her flushed face and red-tipped ears. He blanched at the sight of her but tried very hard to hide it. He was unsuccessful. I don't know, Hermione. You seem awfully spun up, so perhaps there's something I'm not seeing. The intensity of her withering stare made his cheeks redden. Her fingers dug deep into her itching mudblood scar, while Neville leaned carefully back into the tired couch cushions. Is that all you have to say? I'm not sure you want to hear this, but perhaps he was attempting to be kind. You did save him hours of manual scrubbing. Kindness? That's your appraisal? Her voice was shrieked to mask the pain she felt zipping up and down her arm. Well, yes. Neville set the empty bowl down and started on her untouched beverage. If he had been looking at her, he would have seen the pained expression knitted on her face. If he'd analyzed her wobbling tone, he would have slung an arm about her or called for one of the girls to comfort her. He only saw her sweating beverage waiting to be sipped. Hermione crisscrossed her arms about her body, squeezing herself strongly before allowing her hands to go at her sides in a McGonagall-style manner. I'm relieving you of your duties as my protege, Watson. 
Neville stopped his fingers mid-air when he felt the full rate of her blazing eyes on his person, and, for the second time in as many minutes, he attempted to very carefully edge her butterbeer over to his side of the table, missing her helpless stance from only moments ago. When he saw Hermione's pursed lips and power pose, he shrugged before allowing his fingers to continue their descent for her mug. Neville then gave her a proud thief's smirk while boldly downing her drink. When he was finished, he swiped a callous hand against his satisfied lips. Well, that's fair. Three months later, Hermione, as brilliant as any detective would, followed Malfoy back to his private corridor after dinner one evening. She had been racing after some third-year Hufflepuffs who thought shucking snapdragons at the girls' toilet was an appropriate after-dinner activity, when they'd managed to lose her to her one of the shifting staircases. She'd literally turned back after giving up on the chase when she was witnessed by a truly stunning yet puzzling scene unfold in front of her eyes. She saw Malfoy pluck a frightened second ear off the rapidly shifting staircase before depositing the open-mouthed youth on the correct stair. Malfoy then proceeded to scold the boy for being an unobservant idiot. With wobbly lips and hair-stained cheeks, the boy threw his arm about Malfoy's hips as he was still adorably small and yelled that Draco was a decent bloke, well, for a Death Eater scum. Malfoy merely shrugged with only a light frown before pushing the boy's forehead off his stomach and physically turning the boy towards the appropriate path like a wind-up toy. As soon as the child was out of sight, Malfoy ran his hair over his hands over his now-rumpled shirt with a self-depreciating chuckle before he jumped from one staircase to the other that was two meters over. Malfoy landed in an expert crouch after swinging his body in a perfect downward parabola before sprinting down the stairs, taking them two at a time. Stealthily, Hermione had hid behind a tattered tapestry to witness the small exchange with a growing concern. Something was definitely wrong with Malfoy. She had already completed her newts before Christmas and had decided to use her remaining time at Hogwarts as much so much needed gap year before starting her career at the ministry, so she had nowhere she actually had to be. Now was as good a time as any to get intel on Malfoy. Completely abandoning all thoughts about the mischievous Hufflepuss, she hurried after the lanky blonde after pulling her cloak from her bag. Harry had happily given her his invisibility cloak when prompted one day over the summer holiday at Grimmauld Place, so happy to know his spirit of mischief would live on through his toughest convert. She pretended that she'd use it for all matter of silliness when they both knew she would only use it to sneak into the library. How proud he'd be if he knew now. Hermione had been informed in passing by McGonagall that for his own protection Malfoy had been given the space on the opposite side of the castle that hadn't been used in forty years. This broken wing was cobbled and rough to the touch, and Hermione knew this must have been the original building before modern technology and architecture had its way. Even the magic in this part of the school felt older, much like fine-aged vinegar, spicy yet silky on the way down. Malfoy appeared to be completely unaware of her presence, and Hermione grinned impishly, fully aware that no one could see her. Suddenly, Malfoy took a sharp turn, not, but not in an alarming way, more in a practiced kind of way. 
They'd reached his suite. Malfoy, for the first time in months, finally scowled as he stared at the splintering wood door, as though what was on the other side was both physically disgusting and inevitable. Hermione felt silly and crestfallen at the sight of his pinched expression. Perhaps he'd been toying with her all year. He was still a miserable bloke who hadn't actually changed at all. Hermione turned to go when she heard him speak. I won't allow this. Go back to your room. Hermione screamed internally. What could she possibly say and explain on following him? Oh, God, it's my turn, responded Malfoy's voice. What? Hermione turned back again to witness two identical Malfoys arguing with one another at the opening of the door. Hermione clapped a hand over her mouth to keep from screaming, Two Malfoys! The Malfoy she had followed was wearing a black button-down with his fine hair curling slightly at the ends, while leaning against the door was a Malfoy dressed in a crisp white t-shirt with slick-back hair. No. When the term ends, that's tomorrow, the black-shirted Malfoy protested. It's twelve in the morning. Tomorrow is today, said a smirking, white-shirted Malfoy. With a growl of frustration, black-shirted Malfoy continued to stand his ground. If you start up now, they'll know, and they won't stand for this. No trouble now. I need to make preparations. Move aside, cackled the Malfoy in a white t-shirt. Term doesn't end until the end of the school day, thundered black-shirt, while pushing his counterpart back into the room with as much deadly force as he could muster. The white-shirt Malfoy fell and hit his head on the stone floor, and Hermione's head-girl persona came charging out. She dropped the cloak and whipped her wand out at black-shirt Malfoy. Stop this instant. At the sound of her voice, black-shirt Malfoy froze in the open doorway while white-shirt straightened up with a grin. "'Get out of here!' bellowed Black-shirt, with rage contorting his features into something hot and welted. Hermione stepped back uncertain, but did not lower her wand. She shook her head stubbornly. "'What is going on he Hermione did not finish as Black-shirt walked towards her with uncontrolled violence. The rippling muscles hidden by his short sleeves bulged as he took one angry step after another towards her. He waved his hand decisively as though to throw a hex.' Before Hermione could react, the candle wall sconces lighting the hallways went out as though a victorious wind had snuffed them out with one blow. The three students were blanketed in darkness save for the light, the soft light emanating from white shirt Malfoy's open door. Despite or perhaps because of the darkness, black shirt Malfoy continued stalking towards her with even more fury. I said get out, he spat as he neared her person with sure footsteps. Hermione's heart thumped hard against her ribcage's black shirt Malfoy. Hot breath washed over her cheeks. Hermione sprinted back to a similar sensation when Bellatrix had screamed hotly into her face, and Hermione turned her head around to find an escape route. Her eyes found white shirt Malfoy as he looked on with horror. With a split second to decide, Hermione sidestepped black shirt Malfoy and slid into the open doorway. The door closed with a click behind her, and Hermione warded the room with the first spell she could think of. The force of black short Malfoy's growls and pounding fists against the opposite side of the door shook the frame with such force that she feared it would splinter. Panting hard, Hermione threw up a silencing spell to mask the sounds. "'What is going on?' she cried, as she turned to find white-shirt Malfoy seated on a common-room couch, with his fingers running circles at his temples. 
Granger, I thought I spilled broken quills and ink earlier. Following others is generally frowned upon, you realize? Not that I'm complaining as you saved my neck. What is going on? She repeated as she tentatively took a seat on the other edge of the couch. She felt it easy with this Malfoy as he was the sneaky bloke she remembered. None of your concern that I can see. Why don't you run along, little lion? Will you clarify the situation? Stalking and trespassing does make me feel particularly doesn't make me feel particularly open to sharing my personal affairs, he said with a curled lip. Hermione breathed a sigh of relief. Yes, this was a Malfoy she could deal with. I'm Hermione Granger, hit girl. Either explain it to me or I will summon a professor. Please, just leave. His hands lay incongruously in his lap. His head was turned to up to meet hers with the soft, light blue eyes that looked like clear English morning after a long rain. He would not hurt her. She knew this deep within her like a tattoo picking her skin. We both know that this isn't really what we can expect to foresee. Malfoy swept his hand in her general direction as if to fight off the force of her words before dropping his fingers into his fine hair with lackluster defeat. He didn't even bother to fight her, and she felt acquiescence in the very air. She moved quickly to sit even closer beside him. She couldn't be sure, but it looked like his lips had turned slightly upward, as if to ward off a triumphant giggle. Polyjuice or Miss Caspell, she asked, at the same time as he began to speak. Did you ward the door with a strong seal? We'll need it if you want to survive his wrath. Melodramatic, melodramatic behavior doesn't suit you, Malfoy, or whoever you are. Oh, really? I'm sure you rushed in here because you felt safe out in that hallway. She didn't miss the way he did not respond to her original question. First, let me seal it properly once more, she huffed, before completing the proper wand work again. Marfoy seemed less on edge at this and asked her if she wanted some Earl Grey while walking to his kitchenette. At this late hour, surely chamomile is the best choice. <laughs> You're an enraging little bent, he gave a little slight smirk, which took the sting out of his words. Coming from you, I'll take that as a compliment. The conversation died as Malfoy pulled open the cupboard doors before finding a tea and kettle and cups. He put them down with care before filling the kettle and placing it on the burner to warm. When the water came to a boil, he pulled the loose tea canister down from the same shelf, scooping the loose tea out before packing it into the tea colanders. Hermione watched him perform these domestic tasks with silent fascination. The way he prepared their drinks with subtle care and diligence was so unlike the pampered child she'd grown up with, or the shredded soul shrieking about like a haunted house in sixth year. This was as unburdened and self-possessed as she'd ever seen him. Up close, it was measuring both, much like watching a unicorn peacefully drink from cool waters. As fascinating as the back of my head undoubtedly is, speak your piece, Granger. Pardon? Malfoy did not immediately respond to her query. He took his time as he poured the hot tea into both cups before pulling some milk from the small fridge and mixing it into their drinks. He held each cup in the palm of his hands, despite their agony steaming. He placed one in front of her on the coffee table, but allowed his to remain in his own open hand. Hermione reached for her cup, but immediately pulled her scalded, scalded hand back to her chest. Malfoy sipped his cup with refined manners, as though nothing much was the matter. 
She looked at him with parted lips, but he only smirked slightly at her. He pulled out his wand with a speed that defied several laws of natural order and cast a quick charm on her tea, cooling it instantly. The smell left a soft, clean smell in the air that dissipated cordially without any lingering unpleasantness. Blown away by his powerfully restrained skill, Hermione swallowed slightly before gently shaking her head to remove any lasting ferret appreciation that could cloud her judgment. "'You asked me about a miscast spell or some other nefarious plot?' Malfoy quirked, and I brought her with unfiltered humor that she felt was very much at her expense. Hermione shifted uncomfortably on the couch cushion, feeling like his gaze was looking straight through her. When Hermione looked up into his cool eyes, she was reminded of the phrase, "'Still waters run deep.' As she continued to stare, she saw that his eyes were shallow pools at if stepped in, would latch onto her ankles while dragging her down to depths unknown, and, oh, his eyes, she would swear it to her grave, rippled as though something, some deep creature just below the surface of his eyes, was ready to emerge as it read her startled thoughts. What are you? She was not entirely sure she'd said anything aloud. A wizard? Malfoy? Granger, he responded with a wolf's grin as he dabbed his mouth when an embroidered handkerchief produced from nothingness. His calm and collected persona rattled her. Malfoy continued to drink his scorching tea without any discomfort, and his lack of sneers and jeers had her skin crawling. She started to feel off-kilter and less sure of herself. Perhaps something truly more sinister was afoot than she'd locked herself in with this... this... thing... Hermione immediately stood, disturbing the items on the coffee table. She slammed her cup down and dove to the warded room door. Her hand shook as she shuddered a series of unlocking spells. Once done, she grabbed the handle to freedom just as Malfoy's elegant fingers splayed against the door, keeping it firmly shut. She felt his unnaturally cool breath on the back of her ear, his lips grazing over her earlobe. Curiosity. I knew it would lure you in. Hermione shivered as his icy breath circled her ear before slipping into her ear canal, cold air burning her from the inside. She felt his hands on her arms rubbing up and down her skin, leaving goosebumps in his wake. Soon his hands had run all the way down to the scarred skin on the inside of her arm. He stopped his soothing moments as his hand covered the dirty slur. Granger, he whispered into her ear again. What did she, what she did to you? What she awoke in me, I, the young wizard, could not get to finish his confession. The unwarded door slammed open, pushing Hermione and Malfoy onto a heap on the floor. Hermione looked up at her savior with glittering, shimmering eyes. It was the other Malfoy, the one she'd locked out before. His face was a mirror reflecting her own fear. He reached out fast as lightning, grabbing her ankle and dragging her out of the road, out the door. Before dropping her foot to swivel back to the open door, he slammed the door shut, holding the doorknob closed with straining muscles while Hermione got to her feet. Ward it now, he said through clenched teeth. 
Hermione could hear the other Malfoys struggling to open the door from the other side. Hermione shook her head and began waving her hands in front of her as though to push the decision away. I don't have a wand. Do it now, he growled. Afraid of having to face the creature inside again, she promptly compelled. Once done, Malfoy, as she had decided to call him to differentiate the two, slid down the warded door, curling in on himself as he did so. Hermione still found herself breathing hard, hoping to calm her beating heart. The two of them existed in silence for long moments before Malfoy cleared his throat, getting her attention. Her face, she knew, was burning with shame. He had to rescue her from her own stupidity. Hermione still didn't know if what was going on in this castle, but the tendrils of truly old magic was trickling the air between them and leaving the atmosphere charged and thick. Malfoy! She started and placed one foot in front of the other to get closer to him. She reached out a hand to touch his shoulder, but he jumped away, away from her. The blonde shook his head before scratching at his scalp helplessly. I knew you couldn't leave well enough alone. No matter how I tried to show you that I changed, I could feel you judging me from across the room all bloody year, waiting for me to be the same coward I was in that room with you and her. His accusation had caught Hermione off guard to the point that her usually confident way of speech faltered. I wasn't that... that... what? what? His hands left his scalp and were tentatively moving towards her arm as Hermione spoke. His trembling fingers stopped in mid-air as if weighing the, conscious, the con consequences of continuing on to touch her. His, his fingers receded back to his sides. The risk was not worth it. Hermione held her breath as her peripheral vision caught the movement. When he dropped his hands, a heavy sigh tumbled out of his downturned mouth. You were right, you know. I am a coward. Walking back and forth in this old part of the castle, I could feel myself splitting apart, feel the castle cutting right down the middle of my soul, watching you, watching me all damn day long, pulling you away from her in my dreams carving my own aunt like she did you I couldn't hold myself together anymore Hermione Malfoy did not look at her but at his shiny black shoes Hermione looked down at his feet as well seeing her own reflection in the patent leather her hair was about her face as though wrapping itself in the comfort of her scalp her eyes were dark and her skin was red and puffy she blinked and her eyes were staring at the stone floor because Malfoy had moved away she heard rather than saw his shoes tapping urgently against the ground as a means of escape. As soon as his footsteps had quieted, Hermione felt uneasy. She could feel the old vine-ripened magic pulsating from the very stone under, around and above her, as the castle whispered to her. She knew the door to the two Malfoys' room was warded and properly sealed, but she could still feel the wood shake and splinter under her hand. She imagined that he, Draco, was on the other side, with his hand in the same spot as hers on the opposite side. She pulled her hand away, as if the wood singed her skin. Hermione ran to follow the other Malfoy that had left her behind. It wasn't hard to find Malfoy as he went to the place that sad, frustrated people often went, to the bench facing the Black Lake. Malfoy sat there with his arms draped over either side of the bench looking up at the North Star. 
His scheme seemed to shimmer like water boiling away in a kettle much too hot to touch. This was the Malfoy she could reconcile with, even during their younger years, whilst everyone else classified him as cold, arctic even. Hermione had only ever seen simmering rage waiting to boil over. He was so different from Draco, stuck in that room with his frozen fingers that tickled the skin like ice dissolving on the tongue. Malfoy was fire, and Draco was cold, burning sensuality, ready to freeze her whole. When she shivered now, she couldn't be sure what caused it, flames or sheets of ice. When she merely sat on the other side of the bench, he did not turn towards her, but sighed deeply, folding his arms about himself like a depressed pretzel. He and I decided when we finally split apart that the other was only to go, the only way to sorry. He and I decided when we finally split apart that order was the only way to get through this. I managed to trick a house elf into changing the password to something only I know. Why does that matter? The password isn't to keep others out, but to keep him in. He knows that's the worst part of me, of us. That given the chance, he'd burn everything to the ground. I find it hard to believe that he would willingly agree to be locked inside of that out of innate kindness, she shivered as she remembered his ice-cold lips almost testing, almost tasting and touching her skin. Hermione shivered again, although her body was heating up from within, she didn't know why. It's a shaky agreement. He'll be free to do as he pleases once term is over. The password protection will drop and he'll be free to wreak havoc as he wishes it until he's gotten what he really wants. What does he want? You're too smart to ask such a stupid question. He was sitting on the other side of the bench with his hands held tightly together, palms pressed firmly together. She put her hand atop his and was surprised to find that his skin was burning to the touch. He finally looked at her with his ice-encased eyes frozen over unreachable pools, his breath hitched in sick recognition, two halves of the same whole. She pushed her fingers between his two kissing palms, pushing them apart. She pulled his right hand into her left and entwined their fingers together. His warm breath fanned her face in surprise. She resolutely nodded at him, answering his silent question. Fine. What can we do to end this? End him. Now. Hermione was trembling at his gruff response. She'd known what it was like to be incomplete, to have part of her carved out permanently. Her lips formed a thin, resolute line. No. I'm going to put you back together again. Whole? He breathed out as though it were a prayer. Yes, she said as she pulled his other hand over to her mudblood scar to cover it with his large hand. Malfoy and Hermione had raced to the restricted section of the still-unfinished library. Only the first few stacks had been completely decursed, so Madame Pence had portioned the majority of the library off, with only some students and faculty given permission to rummage around in that area. Hermione was the first to beg and plead with Madame Pence to be given access, but was declined every time. That was until McGonagall overruled Pence to allow it. Grateful for the favoritism, the headmistress had no shame in show, showing her towards, towards her. She and Malfoy were furiously searching for some clue to help them in their quest. It was past 4 a.m. before their weary fingers flipped to a page that could help them.
Hermione was still listlessly searching and reading when Malfoy nudged her in the ribs, pointing to a spill that would not completely solve their problem, but would serve as a temporary solution until something more defined could be found. Matrimonium Nocturus, she read aloud, an ancient band marriage ritual binding two souls into one body, usually used by older or dying wizards to tether themselves to a younger, more healthy person in order to continue living and thereby taking over their bride's faculties. She looked up at him in disgust and confusion. We'd have to do some reworking of the incantation, but I think this could work. The spell preys on a weaker-willed or less magically skilled host, so that is a parasitic old man can take over her body? From all accounts, you and him are equally matched. How can you be sure you'd be the one in control? Because the light always wins out in the end. That's what you taught me. Malfoy looked at her with something resembling pride. Hermione stapled a smile onto her face and nodded strongly while ignoring Bellatrix's screams cackling in the back of her mind. The Gryffindor and Slytherin duo passed, parted before, just before sunrise. Hermione stumbled over to her perfectly made bed and collapsed atop it, not bothering to peel back the sheets. Soon, dark dreams encapsulated her mind. Hermione was back in that dank, bloated room with Bellatrix as her only companion. She could hear her own cries as she felt the cursed knife slashing into her arm. The blood dripping from her wounds smelled stale and spoiled, and she held back a gag, knowing that choking on her own vomit would kill her. Just as Milatrix began working on the D and her little spelling game, the knife exploded into small shards of shrapnel that did not reach her skin. At the same moment, Bellatrix's cackles turned to thick, gurgling, chopping gurgles. Hermione looked away to see Malfoy. No, Draco, using a steak knife to wrench open the mad witch's throat with a gleeful giggle. Bellatrix's hands fluttered about her neck before dropping to her knees and howling like a dying dog. Malfoy's booted foot kicked his aunt's body out of the way as though she were no more important than a mangled tree root. He came over to Hermione with a determined glint before gathering her up and operating into what she assumed was his bedroom. He laid her gently down and put his finger to his mouth in a shushing motion when she began to speak. He whispered soft spells about her body, healing her completely before magicking away her clothes and wiping off her sweaty, bloodied body with a warm towel. He then rocked her to sleep. His body was cool against her fevered skin. Hermione awoke with Draco's body flushed against her spine, kissing the back of her muscles until he finally left sharp nips on the back of her neck. He and I are the same person to a degree. He's a wet fop and won't do what I can. I'm not afraid to have you. No one owns me, she whispered, as she reached behind her to run her fingers through his hair. The jar in his hair had frozen in the refrigerated room. Her fingers burned as she stroked through the cold strands, but her hands refused to numb. The more she thought of it, her body was still warm even as a light snow began to fall from the ceiling. She had an inkling of clarity, and she knew something was unnatural about this moment and place. Hermione struggled to remember how she derived her. Her body flinched as his chocolate-dope voice licked at her skin again. 
from the moment I saw the snatchers bring you in with your hair frizzing with indignation. I knew you were mine. Watching my aunt rip you apart split me in two. I never wanted to possess something so completely. I never felt so helpless to take you away. I tried. I really did try to block you out, but your blood ran warm in a long, thin trail that pulled at my boots. I crouched down and licked a droplet, taking you in. I've been pulling myself apart ever since, hoping to find the right way to have you. You've gone mad. She slammed, stammered as her heart slammed and strummed in her chest. She was sure now that she was still asleep. Why else could she not or would not push him away? What reason could she have for feeling so walled off from consequence from censure? Your blood. He began as his mouth finally reached the juncture between her shoulder and neck. It tasted like cherries. It wasn't muddy at all. It's been on my tongue ever since. He still tastes it, too, whenever he looks at you. Stop. Her voice rattled as she spoke. He was at her chin now, leaving cold tracks in his wake. I will, if that's what you really want. Hermione didn't respond, her hands finding themselves woven into the fabric of his dark denim jeans. She did not loosen her grip. Hermione could feel Draco's mouth into a smile before continuing his slow, sinister torture. His lips were now against her earlobe again, pulling her lobe into his frozen mouth. Hermione twitched under his fingers as they crawled down her arm to cover her scar again. Let me out. Draco's voice slithered into her mind, caressing her intimate places. Hermione's eyes snapped open and she was once again in her bedroom. She wiped the sleep from her eyes before yanking at her earlobe that still somehow held the feeling of Malfoy's cool lips even though he wasn't there. She pulled her school robes around her, unsure if she was doing it to ward off the shadow of the trail of his cold fingers had left or to keep the sensation of him on her body trapped inside of her. Malfoy and her Hermione agreed to meet in the part of the castle. After lunch, they both knew it would be odd for the head girl not to be in attendance at the farewell luncheon that McGonagall and Slughorn had been planning since the beginning of the month. The two of them sat stiffly in their still two rigid wing-back chairs, barely making eye contact with anyone. She jumped slightly when Jenny whispered something naughty about Michael Corner's ass in Hermione's ear. The sensation of Jenny's breath felt completely wrong. It was too warm with butterbeer, not cool like she wanted it to be. All right, my friends, we're going to take... Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. All right, we're actually nearing the end of the story. Um, but I was running up on my time for, for um, that session. So let's continue reading. This is awfully awfully yummy. Okay, so fires burn and so do I and we are continuing our story now. As soon as Slughorn began his long, winding speech about whatever personal tell he thought was appropriate for the occasion, Hermione slipped out of her seat and snuck towards the open hall doors. She ran down the shifting staircases that led to Malfoy's part of the building, with him suddenly following behind her. Hermione spared a glance over at her watch, realizing they only had two and a half more hours to enact their plan before the school year ended for the year. 
She must have slowed because Malfoy surpassed her before stopping to grab her hand. His body was still as hot as ever, but she grasped him tightly, afraid to let go. Soon they were in front of the two Malfoys' bedroom door. Hermione breathed in a calming breath before completing her part of the initial plan. She unwarded the door, pushed it open, and pulled her wand on Draco, who popped up against the doorframe in a stunning tailored suit. His hands were in his pant pockets, his hair slicked back in a wolfish grin, teasing his lips. His eyes were thawed, crystalline pools that looked very much like they would consume her if given the chance. He pulled one hand out of his pocket, drawing a silver pocket watch out with it. He snapped it open with perfectly manicured fingers and read its time before looking up at them with unruffled hair. Got my message this morning? Hermione coughed in surprise. She tried to read his body to determine if he was bluffing, but he gave her a thin smile before pulling his bottom lip between his teeth. She gasped, putting her fingers to her own lips. That was you? Hermione trembled. Malfoy looked uncomfortable as he watched the two of them. His eyes volleyed back and forth between the other two in fright. I've been with you for months. I've visited you in your nightmares ramping up your suspicions about my counterpart here. I knew the curiosity would eat at you. Come on, Granger, Malfoy screeched when he saw her much closer and closer to Draco. Stun him so we can get this done. Hermione snapped out of her incredulous daze and quickly stunned Draco before throwing out a cushioning charm to keep him from banging his head. Malfoy shot her a dirty look before pushing into the room with her trailing behind. They levitated the body into the bedroom that Hermione remembered from her dreams. She went over the plan once again with Malfoy before allowing him to lay on the floor by his darker self. Remember, you have to be the stronger one, she called out, although she wasn't sure who she was actually addressing. Hermione began to recite the hastily reworked incantation to bring the two halves back together. Soon she found herself forcing her magic into the spell as she felt elemental pushback from the old magic that was gathered in the room. The push and pull of her magic against the ancient magic left her sweating and overheated, wishing for a cool, soothing drink to quench her fiery body, but she continued to fight it. Something snapped in her war with the old magic, and she felt something shift aside, allowing her passage. She surged onward, yelling her incantation with such fire that she was sure Malfoy was supplying her with his own magical essence. Soon the two separate halves and sides began mending and stitching themselves back into one piece, finally whole, as one entity Draco, Lucius Malfoy, seemed more substantive than either Malfoy or Draco ever had. She hadn't noticed now until how slight both halves had been until they were finally together again. She knelt by Draco Malfoy's side. The crisp suit worn by Draco now on the final body was still perfectly pristine as though painted to his skin. His eyes opened, and he propped himself up quickly, but not as quickly as either of his parts would have done had they been there. Seeing him alive and in one piece was too much for her. She was filled with such frustration at this whole awful scenario that she reached out and slapped him. You're an enraging little lion, he said with narrowed eyes. They were sharper than before, like jagged ice piercing into her. Yes, 
You've mentioned that before, she responded, unrepentant. Regardless, how do you feel? Hermione scrawled at the neediness, scratching at her voice. She was afraid to ask him her true question. Who was he? I'm perfectly fine, my lion. A new man. He pulled himself up into self into a self-indulgent stretch. As he did so, every vertebrae snapped and crackled, reminding her of a basilisk shedding old, useless skin. He then stretched his jaw muscles as if they had been previously unused. She waited with growing anxiety blooming in her chest, causing her to worry her bottom lip. When he noticed her movements, he stopped his stretching. He sauntered over to her with a cool smile almost slithering and raised his fingers Draco gently removed her lower lip from between her teeth with his thumb he did not stop to look at her with silent permission as he cupped the back of her head pulling her body against his and then took her lips between his own teeth bottom lip firmly trapping her mouth her body with his glacial kiss oh oh gods she thought as she relinquished her body to his wintry caress. At least, at least I snubs the burning and itchiness on my scarred arm. Somewhere in the newer, more impotent part of the castle, the final bell rang, signaling the end of term. All right, my friends. Okay, so normally I would break, but... The story ran a bit long uh, for the time I normally am allotted to do a recording, so I carried over. And at this point, if you would like to skip ahead, because we're about to commentary the story, and go on to our season for lunch, you would be welcome to do that. If you'd like to stick around for the commentary of Fires Burn, and so do I, please do. I'd love to invite you to stay with us to talk over this really exciting, delicious, and complicated story. All right, so let's begin the commentary now. Okay, so Fires Burn, and so do I. Oh my goodness, I loved this story. It was... It was a challenge for me to read because there's a lot of action happening in it and the dialogue um, with two duplicate Dracos, but one's kind of Draco hot, one's Draco, <laughs> Draco cold. It, it, that was a challenge for me as a reader to present. I liked Hermione and she was angry Hermione for most of the part of the story. So it was really interesting for me as a reader and trying to voice the story, it, it reads, I think, easier than it, you know, quietly than it is to read out loud, to voice uh, the different voices. Okay, so some things I adore about this story. Well, first of all, it's Draco and Hermione, so, so thank you for the amazing pairing. And I love that Hermione... Um, is very confident in herself. The war is over, and she's kind of taking this gap year at Hogwarts and she's their eighth year and this is her interaction with Draco Malfoy um, she doesn't realize that they have split which I thought was was really fun but so we start off with Hermione kind of watching how weird Draco is behaving and his oddness stands out to her enough that you know he's on her radar 
and she likes to solve puzzles and she likes to be you know very smart and she thinks of herself as being smart and intelligent and she is um, but she knows that something's kind of off with Malfoy but she doesn't know exactly what then she kind of lets it go and we're at Christmas time and Malfoy has you know the story unfolds that part of Malfoy's or Draco Malfoy's punishment in the castle returning as an eighth year is to do janitorial work around the castle that's part of his um, payback and sentencing so I, I enjoyed that he would have had to do like community service in this way and I thought it was fitting it seemed good um, so the the Christmas ball the Christmas gala that they have the Christmas ball and he's cleaning up and he's having to do it muggle style no magic no wand he's pushing around a broom and McGonagall has asked Hermione to make sure that he's able to complete his task more or less undisturbed so she's there in that capacity and she's irritated at being there she doesn't believe that he's genuine and I guess seeking redemption she's still angry at him and angry at herself so you know she's not sympathetic at all to Malfoy and be only because the evening is getting late does she decide to take care of the floors for him which um, you know he's grateful and he's going to tell her thank you know thank you or it looks like he's going to and she just walks off and leaves him so I thought that entire scene um, for this story works because she's still dealing with anger issues and self-doubt and recrimination um, you know they've just gone through a war and so she's you know very clearly dealing with what that was like and trying to be on her own but at the same time um, you know she's very judgmental where I don't think that was really her character in the books in the canon books in this story it almost seems like her experiences in the war have made her angry and more judgmental of people than she would have ever been and I and I think that that is you could have a compare and contrast and when she explains to Harry about Cho Chang and how Cho Chang was feeling what she was feeling in the room of requirement and you know, of course, Ron responds back, or Harry, you know, or I think Ron, how can one person have so many emotions in their body? And that's where we get the, well, not all people have the emotional range of a teaspoon. So Hermione is very empathetic in the canon. And in this story, she is very much, I think, dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome and is angry and, well, is very confident about herself and is, you know, head girl and kind of getting herself back together um, she's not really ready to forgive Malfoy and she's more suspicious of him than anything but then again he has abused her the entire time she's known him and so you know that's him being nice is out of character and these things are starting to kind of pull to her forefront like she's seeing him not really complaining cleaning the floors and other students have been hexing him and like he had with Ron you know with slugs and things you know now the, these things are happening to him and you know Hermione doesn't buy that it's real so she tries to talk to Neville about it I loved the Neville and Hermione interaction where we see Neville you know he's eyeing her dessert and he helps himself to it you know while she's ranting and raving at him and then he finally goes for her her beverage too <laughs> he drinks her drink and you know she's 
trying to get him to dialogue or to talk with her about Malfoy and how weird he's behaving and you know Neville I think you know as a survivor of the war having gone through what he did within canon of the seventh year you know he's more possessed of himself and while he's still kind of nervous to be in her presence when she's mad you know because Hermione is formidable he is um comical too in that you know he's just enjoying her dessert and he's kind of just letting her have her say and you know finally she says you are relieved of you know your duties as my protege Watson you know because he's just not right there I guess agreeing with her and um has the audacity to kind of like pick up her beverage and and drink it and look triumphant doing it like ha you know and agrees that you know okay well that's fair you know like he doesn't really want to fight anymore or chase down suspicions and I think you can see that Neville has kind of grown past that yes he's very interested in her dessert and drink but you know and that's kind of like a fun Neville quirk in this story but more than that you know he's not he's not eagerly you know wanting to solve a mystery he's not on a scooby mission you know he's very much um listening to her and letting letting her vent but i guess you know in trying to capture her drink he doesn't really see how upset she really is and and that is actually described in the story you know like if he had seen how she looked or you know seen how she her you know she was wobbling and you know he might have called for help but but he kind of doesn't you know he's more focused on kind of like just having her snacks and and so he doesn't really see that you know how angry she's really getting and uncomfortable she is and he kind of misses those cues but but it kind of doesn't bother him either at the end and it's not a hit to their friendship he's just in a different place and I thought that that was captured in a really nice nice way that you know she's there with Neville as friends you know and they've survived this thing and it kind of shows his emotional maturity yes he's still a kid you know and in stealing her beverage but on the other hand too when she says you're relieved of your Watson duties you know as, as my protege he's like well that's fair you know but it's not meant mean you know it's it's kind of humorous and I thought that break in the story was a really wonderful detail to throw in then we have the movement of time we get three months later where Draco sees a student struggling um, and is panicking on getting on a wrong staircase that's moving in. Draco more or less, you know, picks the kid up and puts him on the right path, literally does that, you know, and the kid just throws his arms around him because he's 11, he's firsty, first year, and just says, you're a decent local for Death Eaters gum, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, Draco has to pry him off and push him on his way to class, and Hermione witnesses this, and it's unusual, and then she sees Draco kind of like jump the staircase and take off running for his side of the castle, and then we find out, you know, of course, that he has been placed in an unused portion of the castle, I guess, for his own safety, and, and it is stated for his own safety, but um, it does look like McGonagall's trying to keep him safe and away from harm, but, you know, he's in this really run-down, older, original part of the castle. And following Draco, um, or the Malfoy that she saw helping the, the student, she follows him down because, you know, again, it's just this weird behavior that he's exhibiting, and she just kind of wants to find him out. And when she makes it to... Um, 
like she follows him to his door he pretty much tells her go away I know you're behind me and she doesn't listen and when he opens the door and there's two of them that was a surprise I never saw coming you know like the dialogue starts and it almost gives you an impression that yes there is someone in the room you don't know who he's talking to she thinks that initially that she's you know that he's talking to her and he is aware of her and then she sees the two of them and she is like what the heck is going on and I was like oh this is an amazing twist I love that part of the twist of this story I love dual Dracos I'm like oh that's delicious and so um, she locks herself in the room with the Draco that's in the room with the sympathetic Draco and, and Dra mainly because the Draco in the hall um, that she saw is you know falling into a fit of rage and so she's afraid of the Draco she's followed and dives into the room where the Draco who was locked in is at I think believing that that is maybe the truer Malfoy or she's just waiting to figure out what's going on because she says is it a polyjuice potion or, or misfired you know spell what, what's going on so while she's in the room with Draco, um, he doesn't seem quite sincere. Like they start talking, and, and you kind of get that, like maybe they they have an easy dialogue to start off with, and then she sees something about him that isn't right behind his eyes, like this thing swimming, this big beast, you know, behind his eyes, and she makes the statement of, "What are you?" Not who are you, but what are you? And I thought that was wonderfully creepy and scary. You know, he's holding a scalding cup of tea in his hands. He makes them tea, and then with almost supernatural power, is holding on to a scalding cup. And, you know, he... Um, he tells her, you know, I'm not afraid to have you. I'm like, oh my goodness, that was, you know, <laughs> wow. He's very much different, you know, and all of a sudden what she or who she thought was a nice guy or Draco or, and we don't even want to say nice guy, we just want to say normal Draco, she realizes is nothing of the sort. And so then she's trying to escape. And, you know, because now the creature outside the door that she thought, you know, was something crazy um, seems safer than what she's locked in with so she gets herself out and Draco helps her and now we find the unfurling of finding out that there are two and that having watched her torture was what caused this break in his psyche and has physically manifested two separate different Draco Malfoys okay so for me as a reader, that was a wonderful surprise to have. I loved that supernatural element in the story of having like this doppelganger thing happening. And she doesn't know who the good Draco is because they're light and dark at the same person, though one is running hot and one is running cold. So they go down to the lake, or actually I think Draco leaves her and they lock the other one in and she finds him at the lake and he starts to tell her really what's going on and she feels more comfortable with Draco by the lake um, and she agrees to help him to combine the two separate selves that he is now back into a single being and you know because 
it's so strange what has happened to Draco, you know, the, the very torture of what they had both really been through together, her physically being tortured, him watching it. And, um, you know, it was very telling. It's like he must have hated himself to the point that he split from himself or had some type of desire or thought that literally the catalyst in this happening to him was Hermione and then being put into the older part of the castle where the magic was more raw really, you know, finalizes splitting him into different people. So I love how Hermione and Draco team up to try to work to combine the selves that he is and they go to the restricted section and they're working together and they find a spell but it's not exactly correct and the caveat is of course or, or the condition is that in combining the selves it's the stronger of their personalities which will win out and dominate that being as an individual so you know um I liked that explanation. It was well written enough to be complicated and challenging for me to think about that. And then we have, you know, of course, Hermione going to bed and having this dream, this nightmare, recurring nightmare she falls into. So Draco by the lake, I think, makes her feel safe and secure and she sleeps well. Draco, um, locked in the room, makes her... Um, a husband visiting her in her nightmares and putting bad thoughts in her mind and so he's almost kind of torturing her but he desires her and it's very carnal and you know all of a sudden she's in the dream again and this Draco saves her and then talks to her and is kind of purring to her almost like you know um, I love that he's a serpent you know, very serpentous, very Slytherin, very, very uh, snake in the Garden of Eden, if you will. Um, he's seducing her, and she's willing to be seduced. So, you know, and she's interested in it, but at the same time, maybe a little repulsed and interested at the same time. He makes her feel things. And um, when she wakes up, you know, it's with the resolve to still try to help the other the other Malfoy. So they do try to do the spell, and when they open the door, of course, Draco locked up is like, um, did you get my message? And so he was very aware of having invaded her dreams. They do stun, or Hermione stuns, um, locked in Draco, and then she does the incantation to force the castle's magic to meld Draco back into one person. Okay, I thought that was brilliant. I loved how um, when it says that she was penetrating through and that was almost carnal as if her magic, you know, was so intimately having to push forth this event and it read carnally and it had a sensuality in the read that I thought worked really well. It was a pretty delicious hot piece of writing as well as the bedroom seduction dream, I thought was very delicious the tone of Draco ice is quite yummy you know where you have Draco Draco by the lake um, warm Draco is he's also attractive but there's something deviously wonderful about Colt Draco and you know you're just not sure of how safe he is
And the other Draco says, well, he would burn it all down. So you know that this is Draco, who dark Draco as a cold person. So she does the spell, and she doesn't know who he is yet. And he kind of approaches her with a predatory, you know, um, gait or way that, you know, he wants to claim her. And when he does finally, you know, grasp her and kisses her, it's, it's cold. So we know that Draco locked in, you know, is dominating um, the the combining of the two Draco characters, the split pairs now is Draco cold, we assume. And she says, oh, well, at least, you know, it'll soothe the pain, you know, of my arm. And so it was, you know, him claiming her still. And then you have to kind of wonder that if she is the smartest witch of her age, you know, um, did she know that this could be a potential outcome? And she does because, you know, when she starts um, the incantation, the writer does state that she doesn't know who she's saying it really to or who she really wants to to have um, dominate. Although she feels that, that Draco by the Lake's magic combines with her to push through the merging you're kind of wondering who she really wants and maybe if her determination and pushing the spell through is what really sets Draco Malfoy as a whole person into being who he will now be, which we think we have elements of Draco cold. And of course, he's even more than he was locked in the room now that he's a, a person. So I thought only criticism that I have is that, and I say this with so many other stories, I would have loved more of the story because ending it with her kissing him and you know that she's with Draco Cold, um, it's like it left me with the craving to want to know what's going to happen to them. You know, does she spend time with Draco Cold? Does he have her as so easily as he thinks he will? I, I tend to think he might because this one seems pretty hot. And would she willingly give herself over to this? And the questions, you know, I'm left with, with this story, or would have liked maybe more fleshing out, or maybe there could still be more fleshing out, is do they, does he pursue her? Is it a love-hate thing? Is it a, a more obsessive? Is it, is it Draco cold maniacal, or is it Draco cold, you know, um, Yes, he he's obsessed with her, but does it turn to something more because Draco Dark is there too? And does it become, you know, a true love story as opposed to obsession? And it seems like this is an obsessive story. And of course, she's on the brink either way. So, you know, in, in what way does he wake up her sensuality? Maybe that would have been a fun thing, I think, to explore is, you know, where is she is she willing to be seduced by by Draco cold? And I think she is. So that might have been fun, but as the piece is written, I loved it. And I loved it so much. As soon as I finished reading this story, I reached out to Kiyoshi Glory to to see if I could read the story on Seppa Story um, podcast because I thought, wow, you know, this is really well done. It was sexy and hot and delicious the dialogue for Draco Cold was perfect you know he is gravelly delicious seductive and dangerous um, the other Draco is 
remorseful and kind of hanging back a bit and I liked that and I liked that Hermione is fallible in having made the mistake of locking herself in with Draco cold not realizing which was the true danger so um I love the story I liked all the pieces and elements in it I wish I could have read it a little cleaner um because you know I, I think that the reading there's so much happening in this story that I think um, voicing the Dracos is like really important to kind of catch the differences between the two characters. They're the same person, but they're vastly different characters. So for me, this was a wonderful read, and I really like stories that put a fun twist or do something new, and this one did that for me. So I am definitely going to be checking out more writing by this author and see if I can get blanket permissions to read more of this um, author's writing. So look forward to that in season four. I will definitely be reaching out to this writer to to share more um, stories and fanfic pieces. If you liked this story and you want to continue to support Sepa Stories, please um, subscribe follow give us a share find me on tumblr we're at sepa raven 200 uh, you can also find me by gmail sepa 200 at gmail.com if you have any type of um, story that maybe you'd like for me to consider reading for you i look for completed pieces i can't read overly explicit material on these podcast episodes as i don't know who's on the other side but i will always give a warning if there is um, you see how we commentary. So if you have a completed piece of fan fiction, you're interested and maybe would like to have your story featured, pop me an email and we can do a review. That'd be fine. Um, I am super busy. <laughs> this podcast has really launched wonderfully and it is I am getting to meet so many wonderful people uh, from all over the world. Thank you for tuning in to SEPA Stories to make that happen. So if you like that, follow us, stay with us. Uh, season 4 will be launching this week. We will see you there. And we will see you next time on SEPA Stories. Thank you so much. Thank you again, patrons, for contributing. That... Um, enabled me to pick up an, an additional iPad to be able to read more stories to you. So, so thank you for that. Uh, we will see you next time, and we will see you season four. Further explanation and explorations into the wizarding world of Harry Potter fan fiction. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you, and bye.